At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. This morning, go ahead and take your Bibles out and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter, Peter chapter 2. We're continuing our unshakable series today as we're continuing looking at this letter that Peter writes to the Christians there in uh, the scattered regions of the Roman Empire. So if you're there, we're going to jump right into verse 13 this morning. Listen intently to the word of the Lord. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution... Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to do praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now today I think it's just appropriate that we, we dive right into this verse and I, and I can't uh, see a more uh, important time for us to understand the teaching of God's word. But as we were reading that together, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, as we were reading this, began to ask yourself the question, where's the Christian loophole? Like you begin hearing that and you're like, what is the limit to my submission to government? Right? How many of you guys were doing that? Immediately you're like, it says to submit, because you know, as our American culture, as we're, we're trained, this word of submission is, is kind of like a dirty word that none of us want to do it. None of us want to be in submission to anyone else. We want to be the boss of our own lives. And many times we come to teachings like this and immediately our mind goes to say, to what limit do, do I have to submit? Do I have to submit to our governing, governing officials uh, to the point of where I don't like it, or where is it? And so we always want to look for the clause or the loophole. And if we look at the, keeping it in context of where we've been, we don't see that, that Peter doesn't give us an explicit out. Peter doesn't say, you submit until you don't like it, but we simply submit to all governing authorities over us, every human institution that God has designed and God has given this is a deeply challenging text for us to walk through today. And I pray that we're able to see this text through Christian eyes, that God opens our eyes to see the beauty and the benefits of living in such a way. Now, you may be saying that Peter must be encouraging these Christians to live this way when they're prospering underneath a, a, a great political ruler or a great political party. Now, let me remind you, that's not the case of what Peter's trying to do. Peter's encouraging these Christians that are actually Roman citizens, that are Christians who are Roman citizens, that are living throughout the Roman Empire, who did not find their government to be a warm, accepting place of this new faith. Instead, they looked at this, this, these people of God, these, these Christians that were worshiping God through Jesus, who refused to bow to Caesar. Now, this was challenging for each one of them 
Because according to uh, the, the Roman Empire, Caesar was God and Caesar was to be treated as such. And to have a, a group of people with inside the Roman Empire choosing to not worship Caesar was not good. And so Peter wants to encourage these Christians. He wants to help them understand how they are to live, how they are to speak, how they are to engage in a political culture that is hostile towards them. Now today I think it's important that, that we understand there's a little bit of distinction that we don't live in as physically hostile of a culture as we see these Christians that Peter is writing to. But we must ask ourselves the same questions. We must ask ourselves the questions of how do we as Christians live in a society and or in a pagan culture? Or another way of putting it, how do we live with neighbors and other church family members that we disagree with? How do we live in such a way? So today, as we continuing our series entitled Unshakable, as we've been walking through the first two chapters of 1 Peter, what Peter is, is, has been encouraging these Christians to do is to understand how they are to live amidst an ever-growing hostile culture. He wants them to know how, how they're supposed to live. And so he began focusing in on their identity. He says, you've got to know who you are. You've got to know who you belong to. And so you see in, in chapter one that uh, he calls them and says, your new identity is an elect exile. That means that you're, this is not your home. This is not your nation, that you are a citizen of heaven, that you are loved by God, that you are, have been redeemed by Jesus and that you are kept and that you are beautiful. You are a holy priesthood, a mighty nation. And so he says that this new identity changes everything about you. And then last week we saw in, in the middle part of chapter two that there's a switch, that Peter switches from talking about who you are to then talking about how you are to live. How as Christians, as believers, how are we to live in this world? From our new identity, how are we to live? And so today we're going to answer the question, how are we to live out our Christian identity under governmental authorities? That's the big question that we're supposed to, to look at today. And what I hope we're able to see from God's word is that God's people are good citizens. God's people are good citizens. We're gonna look at three truths from this passage today, three ways that, that we as believers can live as good, godly citizens. Look with me in verse 13. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Quite simply, we see uh, the first reality or the first practice that needs to become a part of our lives from this passage. We see, for God's sake, submit to your rulers. For God's sake, submit to your rulers. The first thing that we're called to do, very explicit here, is to understand our relationship with inside the public square and how we are to relate to those, those that govern over us. God declares that we are to be subject to every human institution. This word subject or, or to submit is the idea of to, to live in a submissive relationship with, to live under the authority of something that is greater. It's, it's an idea of not only following, but also obeying those that are over us. He clearly spells out who these government leaders are. 
We are to be submissive to the emperor as supreme, to governors as sent by him. This is a a deeply challenging teaching to the hearers of this word back in A.D. 62 to A.D. 63. The, the believers were really hard, it was really hard for them to accept this teaching and to understand this teaching because they lived under a very, very evil emperor. Remember, as I told you several weeks ago, this was, uh, scholars believe that, that Peter is writing during the time uh, that Nero was the emperor of Rome. And we know anything about Nero, we know that he was an arrogant, we know that he was notorious, he was sexually immoral, he was violent, and he persecuted Christians. Remember, Nero is the one who, who set a blaze to Rome and then blamed it on the Christians, and then as a way of retribution towards the Christians, trying to, to squell this, this new movement of life, he took these Christians and he martyred them. He used some of them, he dipped them in tar and lit them on fire so that his patio at night could have light. Peter is saying to these Christians that you're supposed to submit to this. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that we submit to governments that we agree with. God is commanding his people to live in submission under the government that he has given us too. Well, the next question you gotta be asking yourselves is why? So I, I understand what the teaching is. Why, why would he want us to do this, especially if we live under evil government? What if we live under evil, evil presidents or even evil governors? Well, he gives us in verse 13 the reason. He says, for the Lord's sake. Submit to governing officials because it's for the Lord's sake. Our submission and obedience Uh, goes above just that of government leaders. Our submission goes to the Lord himself. Our ultimate submission, we need to understand, is that God is an authority over all things, that no one comes into leadership, no one comes into power apart from God's design. It's part of God's plan as it unfolds throughout all history. So Nero coming to power at the time that he did, that was under the leadership of the Lord. Was Nero evil? Absolutely. But God says, submit to him as though you submit to me because I'm ultimately in control and you have no idea how this evil leader will fit into the plan of reconciliation and redemption for all humanity. So when we submit to our governing leaders, we are submitting to the Lord. When we refuse to submit to our governing leaders, we refuse to submit to the Lord. So that's one reason. The second reason he gives us in verse 14 is because these governing leaders are designed and put there to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. You see, there's in some way that governing leaders in our lives is an act of God's general revelation and common grace for all humanity. What I mean by that is if left alone, because we are wicked and depraved in ourselves, we would drift towards evil. We would use and abuse each other in ways that would be wicked. And so God has given government in our lives as a way of providing us with moral restraint. 
as a way of saying, hey, this is right, this is wrong. You shouldn't kill people. You shouldn't steal from other people. You should pay your taxes. You should work hard. You can have the government that comes in to help give us a moral guide in our lives. He says that's the purpose of government is when to, to, to take care of that which is evil, to punish that which is evil, and to reward that which is good. So it's by God's design as a way of, of, of giving us earthly structures to help us understand that God's overarching reign in our lives. But Peter is not instructing us here to turn off our minds and go along with everything that the government says and does. We're not to turn off our minds and, and blindly obey and blindly follow because that can be very dangerous especially if government is choosing to go in a direction that goes against God's law or even encourages those to do evil. We can learn a lot about Christians during the time of Nazi Germany. As I was reading this week, they, uh, coming to understand kind of what was going on within the church inside of Nazi Germany as, as Adolf Hitler rose to power and Nazi Germany began to embrace a, a racist propaganda we see that the church responded in three different ways. There were, church, there, there were three ways that the church responded to this racist movement that was happening from the German government. There was some parts of the church that said, you know what, we're gonna sit this one out. We're not gonna engage, we're not gonna do anything, we're just gonna step back and we're gonna stay silent about this as, as the church sees Jewish people being slaughtered just because of their heritage and because of their culture. The church chose to be silent. Others in the church decided that they were going to align themselves with the state church of Germany and they fully embraced Nazism. And what we understand is that Nazism wasn't just a political party, it was a philosophy that was based on extreme racism. Nazism believed that, that German people, the Aryan race, were superior to all others, especially to Jews. That if there was and somehow God's economy, as he looked at the value of people, somehow the Aryan people were way up here and Jewish people were way down here. And they believed that it was, it was their right and their role to rid the world of all the Jews. And what we see is that these Jewish people became the enemy and these, these Germans believed that the, the Jewish people were enemies to their very way of life. And for many within the church, church and politics were the same things. And church, Christians even supported this Nazism so much that some of them believed, they called themselves stormtroopers for Jesus Christ. Their hatred towards the Jews continued to grow. This was the church. This was the church that had taken their, their Christian identity and their earthly culture and their the national identity and had melded it all together. They could not see that they were walking down the road towards pure evil. In fact, they thought that they were doing good. But then there was a third way to respond. There was another movement among the Christians in Germany and they called themselves the Confessing Church. This was the church uh, that was, one of its leaders was the theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
He was one that was wrestled with what he saw, the government, government moving in one direction and where he saw his Christian faith living out and saw that there was a disconnect. He wrestled with how to honor God and submit to the governing authorities in the midst of evil. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was deeply influenced during his time while studying in America. He came to, to New York, and while he was here for several years, he had the opportunity to witness the immense racism in the United States. He could see firsthand the, 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 um, the problems and the challenges of being a Christian and also being racist. And so he took that when he went back to Germany as he sees his country and the nation that he loves going down a path towards pure evil, he could not follow. And so he and the confessing church took a stand against Nazi Germany and took a stand against Adolf Hitler and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the end gave his very life because he was seen as a traitor. See, he had to wrestle with his true citizenship. Does it matter more that he's a German or does it matter more that he's a Christian? And he decided that it was more important that he was a Christian and that his Christianity impacted the way he lived as a German. Now, I know this is an extreme case and it's not the experience of the American church, but the principle of living a holy life as a citizen of heaven has obligations here on earth. We are commanded to maintain a posture of humility. We're commanded to maintain a posture of respect and a posture of obedience to those that are governing authorities above us. Will you still wanna say how far should we submit? How far do we go until we can rebel? And the answer is clear. When government begins to do evil and to go outside of God's law in those specific areas, that's where we say enough. But if they're going in a way that seeks the good of, of everyone, then we follow. Even if we don't agree with specific policies, even if we don't agree with specific elected leaders, we must take the disposition of being humble and submit and obey with respect. We don't show Christ well when we get all involved in political divisions and the disrespect of the world. We can disagree with people. We can look at our governing officials and we should call them out. We should call them out for the ways in which their, their policies are inconsistent with the truths of scripture. But that doesn't mean that we attack their character or question their intent. We, we don't sit in the minds of our government officials. We don't know their hearts. We don't know their intents. I have to believe that people that, that run for government have the intent of wanting our, our nation to be a better nation. They just may have different opinions about how we get there. And we leave it up to God to decide who will be in those, those leadership positions and then we follow with respect. So the first thing we are to do is to be good citizens by submitting to our rulers. I think that's a general principle of a disposition of our heart. But second of all, Peter's gonna give us some more on the ground instructions. This is how we should live. In, in some ways, it, it matters how we treat those in authority over us, but we don't live necessarily uh, underneath everything that they teach. God has given us a greater teaching. 
which I think is the second principle that we see today. For goodness sake, we are called to do good. Look at me in verse 15. It says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I love how Peter gives us the question, how many of you guys have ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? Right? Have you ever wondered, like, God, who, who am I supposed to marry? Like, am I supposed to take this job or not? God, what is your will for my life? And I think in some ways, and there are several times in Scripture, that God makes it very, very clear what his will is where there should be no question about it. And we see here, he gives us one of those indications. He says, for this is the will of God in your life and for your life. Well, what is the will of God for our lives? That we do good. That we do good. That's God's will. It's not that we just sit back and allow things to happen, but it's his will for our lives as citizens in our earthly cultures that we should do good so that by doing good, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is a very parallel passage to what we saw in verse 12, where Peter says, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that, they may, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What he's saying is, is that we live in such a way that when people are watching our lives, that we live good lives before the Lord in submission to others by doing good so much so that it changes their heart towards our very God. That our lives become that, that invitation into a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what Peter is saying. So this means that we must become extraordinarily active in doing good. We need to do more as Christians than just to affirm what is good. We need to actively be involved in doing good. This means that practically, physically, we live out for the goodness of others in their lives. We seek the good of others. But let me ask you this question. I, I, I don't think we are, generally speaking, we seek the welfare of others. I, I don't know if, if somewhere along the way we as a church have, have gotten off track or we, we've lost our minds along the way, but I think instead of choosing to do that which is good, we've chosen to do that which is safe. Hear that. Oh, oh we seek the welfare of our families. We seek the welfare of ourselves. We want to make sure all that, but really what we're after is not goodness. What we're really after, we're honest with ourselves, we're after safety. We just want to be safe. We want to leave a, live a good life where people leave us alone, where there's, because we don't like controversy, we don't like conflict, we just want to be left alone, and we want to be happy, and we want to be safe. That's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is that we do good, that we engage culture, that we engage the challenges, that we engage the messiness of the world around us. Instead of choosing safety, we choose goodness. One example of this, and this is going to hurt some of you, but know that it's coming from a place of love because this hurt me. One example of this. We affirm that pro-life is good, but many Christians think their only responsibility to make an area in this, or make a difference in this area is by voting pro-life. 
as, as though the battle for the sanctity of life should be given over into the hands of politicians who make policies. Do you hear me? It's not good enough just to say, I'm pro-life, cast a ballot and that and say, I'm done. My Christian, my Christian work here is done. No, your Christian work is not done. We need to go to where the brokenness is, where people are hurting, where people are questioning. I have this baby inside of me. What should I do with it? The world tells me that it's a mistake. The world tells me that it's a choice. The world tells me that it's a clump of cells, that I have the opportunity to do whatever I want. That's not what the Bible says, my brothers and sisters. The Bible says that that is a life, that that child is made in the image of God. And we need to be moved outside of the voting booth to do something about it. Do you hear me? It's not enough. It's not enough. Christians should be leading the way. We should be next to filling crisis pregnancy centers with hope, with financial support, with, with our, our, our presence there and our gifts and our talents and abilities. There should not be an unadopted kid in our state. We should be leading in foster care. We should be in those places if we care about the sanctity of life, brothers and sisters. We can't just sit back and say, check, done, move on. This is God's will for our lives that we do good. There's a guy that attends our church. His name's Doug. Doug became compassion about the sanctity of human life. And he began praying. He kept saying, God, I, I know this is your heart. I know that this is important. Show me. And so guess what he began doing? He prayed, and then he began doing some investigation. Where can I make a difference in this area? God, move, where do you want me to go to do good? And so he came across this ministry called Gianna House. It's in East Point. And the, the ministry and the mission of Gianna House is to take young women who are pregnant from the ages of 13 to 18 and give them an opportunity to have a safe place to have their child. They come alongside these young women and they provide them with education. They provide them with resources to be mothers, to, to help, the, their, their, help them to know how to raise their kids and how to change a diaper and how to feed them and get them on a schedule and all this. And Doug is so passionate about this that he's like, I gotta be a part of this. And so Doug is now serving and he's giving his time and giving his thoughts and giving his resources over to there. And, and he even got so excited. He's like, he's like, Pastor Jeff, you gotta come check this out. And so I went uh, several about a month ago or so with Tyler and we checked it out. Out, and this is an amazing ministry. You want to make a difference? There are so many opportunities for us to make differences in this world by doing good, by making a difference to those that are things that are outside of what everyone else thinks about. See, Doug felt compassion and he did something about it. Christians should be first and foremost on the front lines of seeking to work towards the common good of all. You know, in American history, Christians and churches um, started hospitals. Christians and churches started schools. Christians and churches started welfare systems. Christians and churches started community centers. You know how we got the Salvation Army? You know how we got the YMCA? Because of Christians. Now they've all gone, kind of gone off course these days, but those were started because the church understood it has a responsibility to do good for society. But somewhere along the way, Christians and churches have chosen safety. And it's sad that in the void, government has stepped in. Government's doing a lot of things today that it never should. 
The church is called by God to be the hands and feet of God, to be there for the voiceless, to be there for those that have no voice and have no power and have no hope. I pray this is cutting some of us to the heart. It starts with each one of us beginning by loving God and loving our neighbor. And let it move us. Instead of moving away from brokenness, we need to move towards brokenness. Instead of of, of wanting to just quiet the voice of the voiceless, we need to lift the voice of the voiceless up. That's why we fight for the unborn. We fight for the orphan. We fight for the poor. We fight for the sick. We fight for the neglected. We fight for the abused. We fight for the trafficked. We fight for the oppressed, the marginalized. We fight for everyone. Why? Because every person is made in the image of God and they have value and they have dignity. This is why we serve. This is why we choose love over safety. Third, we see for freedom's sake, we live to serve. Peter in verse 16 says this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. These last two verses of this passage, Peter's is very clear. He wants us to understand how we live out as citizens in this world, as, as heavenly citizens in this world. And he wants us to focus in on our freedom. He says it comes from a place of our freedom, not, not American freedom like you and I understand it, but the freedom that we have in Christ. We, we live from this place of freedom that we have in Christ. What is the freedom that we have in Christ? Well, we are freed from the bondage of sin. We're no longer a slave to sin. We can choose to do what's right. Right. We're now free from the guilt and shame of sin because we are forgiven. We are freed from the impossible obligation of attempting to earn favor with God by doing good things. We are now free to do good and to glorify God with our lives. And literally what, it, what he's talking about here is this idea is that you and I are always a slave to something. When we were born, we were born lashed and a slave to sin. It ruled every part of our lives. We lived out our our fleshy desires and our fleshly passions, and we were a slave to that sin. And what Jesus has come to do in our lives is to free us from that sin. So now the shackles are in our hands. And what he's saying is that we choose to whom we will shackle ourselves. Some Christians are free, and they shackle themselves back to sin. But what he says, what a better way to do is to live as a slave to Jesus, as a servant to the Lord and say, Lord, where you tell me to go, I'll go. What you tell me to do, I will do. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil. So he's saying, don't use your freedom to shackle yourself back to sin, but instead use your freedom to be servants of the Lord. And then he gives us this list of all those that we are to give honor to. We are to honor everyone, to see everyone that is made in the image of God that has dignity and that has value. Then he goes on and says, secondly, we are to love the brotherhood. In the Christian church, we are to love each other even if we disagree with one another politically. We are to show the world our love for one another. We are to fear God, to understand that God is ultimately in control of all things. And we to submit to his leadership But then finally, which may be the greatest challenge for us, is to honor the emperor. This is something that we don't see in the world today. 
those that are in political leadership authority over us. People are constantly trying to smear, and they're smearing each other. They're doing all kinds of evil things to each other, things that, are, that would go against their Christian conduct. But we're not called. We're called to give them respect, and we're called to honor them. Tuesday, as our nation heads out to the polls to vote in our country's general election, you may not like the results on Tuesday. You may be pleasantly surprised at how it all turns out. You may be excited. You may be depressed. But that's not our responsibility. The world does not want, need to know what your political views are. They don't need to know what candidate you support, this or that. They need to know who is your supreme leader. They need to know and they need to see that you are a follower of Jesus and you do so by submitting yourself to their leadership, but you move towards serving and loving. Just imagine for a moment how the world would be different if the church, if God's people were known more for their acts of service for the common good instead of being used by politicians as a voting block. You know, that's how the world sees us. The world, you got to get the Christian vote, right? You get the Christian vote, you can win. So politicians will tell you all kinds of things that you want to hear, but that doesn't matter. The world should not see us just because of what we can do for their, for their political lives. The world should see us for our service and love. Imagine if we put our feet to working for the real needs of society. What if we worked to make a difference in poverty and homelessness and abandonment and sickness and sex trafficking? And what if we led the lines in, in stopping racism and, and calling out all kinds of evil practices? How would the world be changed? This is what Peter's calling us to. This is what Jesus is calling us to. To live a life where we are engaged in the world's challenges. Not sitting back hoping that our government's gonna fix it. But instead we submit to them and I'll tell you what, as we, as we submit to our government and as we seek to do good, the government wants to seek to do good for our, our people. And so if they see us doing good for our people, then there's more blessing and there's more favor. So today, I wanna ask you this question. Are you truly choosing safety or are you all making a difference in whatever arena. Maybe God doesn't call you to make a difference in all of those things, but one of those things in this life, we should be giving our lives over to make a difference in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, for the life that you've given us. And we thank you, God, for this time in history that you have uniquely called us to make a difference. Father, I pray that right now we would feel conviction um, over our lives for um, maybe we've been unsubmissive to our leaders. Father, if we have those unsubmissive hearts, if we've questioned the intentions of others that you've placed in authority over us, Father, I pray that we confess that in this season. And Father, I pray that you truly would help us to take on this disposition of submission in this season. The world doesn't need more hatred. The world doesn't need more division. The world needs you. 
And the only way the world is going to know you is through us. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to give our lives over to you so that you can lead us into the arenas where there's pain, into the places where there's brokenness. Set us on a path of where we can be an open door to invite people to experience the wonderful blessing of being in Christ. Father, the world needs us. You've placed us here. So God, help us to make a difference and help it to come from a place of surrender, not a place of trying to earn favor. God, I thank you for our president. I pray for him. God, give him wisdom. Help him, God, as he completes this term. And as we wait to see the results of this election, I pray for him. God, I thank you for our governor and I pray for her. God, I can't imagine what she feels like when she sees that neighbors and loved ones are dying because of a virus. I have to believe she cares for our state and I pray you just surround her with wisdom. Give her counsel to help her choose to do what's right and to lead us in a way that honors you. But God, help us to lift them up and help us to obey. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.